Would you open God's precious holy word to Luke 24 again, beginning in verse 13 as last time. But you'll also want to find 1 Corinthians 15 because we will be spending most of our time there. But let me read where we are in Luke and take it from there. And behold, on the same day, two of them going to a distant village, 62 stadia from Jerusalem. One whose name is Emmaus, and they were talking with one another about all these things that had been taking place. And it happened in their talking and reasoning that Jesus himself, having drawn near, was walking along with them, but their eyes were restrained so as not to know him. Then he said to them, what are these words you exchange with one another while walking? And they stood still looking sad. The one named Cleopas said to him, you visit Jerusalem and you're the only one who doesn't know the things that have come to pass in these days. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, then the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a man, a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to the judgment of death and crucified him. And we were hoping it was he who was about to redeem Israel. But indeed with all this, it is the third day since these things happened. And also certain women of our women astonished us, having been early to the tomb and not having found his body, they came also declaring to have seen a vision of angels who say he's alive. And some of those went with us to the tomb and found it so, just as the women said. However, they did not see him. And he said to them, O foolish and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer and to enter into his glory? And having begun from Moses and from all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. They drew near to the village where they were going and he appeared to be going farther and they constrained him saying, abide with us for it is toward evening and now the day has declined. And he entered in to abide with them, and it happened in his reclining with them, having taken the bread, he blessed it, and he began giving it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from them. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us as he was speaking with us on the road, as he was opening the scriptures to us? And having risen up that same hour, they returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven gathered together, and those with them, saying, Indeed, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began relating the things on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Resurrection. For you and me, the apex of faith. To know that, that one day everything is over, including death, and the grave, and we will stand again. Anastasia, that's what the Greek word means, the resurrection. It means to stand up again. Here our Lord, in his resurrected state, is, is exchanging words and, and relating to and walking with Cleopas and his companion. They're sad. He asks them questions. 
Then he teaches the scriptures to them. He agrees to something and he's walking like any other man would walk. But then when he offers the bread that he had blessed, they recognized him. And he vanished. So here is an example of Christ in his resurrection body. We'll see another example before we get to the end of Luke. But for today, I wanted to take the situation that uh, we have read about where these two walked with Christ and he exchanged ideas with them and taught them the scriptures and everything seemed so normal until the time that he gave them bread and he blessed it. And their eyes were opened. Their eyes, we read at the first part of that, were restrained, but then they were opened. I want to bring you a message based on what we see here and in other passages about our resurrected Lord. I want to bring you a message that I, I call the resurrection body. So now we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 15. The Bible explains to us and that we will be resurrected someday should not be so profoundly difficult to believe. It should be an easy thing given the immense examples of resurrection that God gives to us just in nature itself. The resurrection body, what's it going to be like? What am I going to be like? So let's look at it, beginning in uh, verse 35. But someone will ask the question, how are the dead raised? Okay, this is in a greater context where Paul has been teaching about the resurrection of Christ and how we're to be resurrected and so forth. And this just follows, this just, this just follows the line of reasoning here. How are the dead raised? With what body do they come? Now here's the, here's the answer from the Holy Spirit through the pen of Paul. You fool. Sometimes I get into discussions. I don't like discussions. I, matter of fact, the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, we're forbidden really from, from meaningless debates and, and uh, arguing with people. That doesn't, if, you know, I've gotten where I just say, well, you must be reprobate and there's no hope for you. And I walk off and leave them. Um, maybe they'll think a little more. I don't know. And if it's a Christian, I can tell them to apologize to me at the judgment seat of Christ because I'm always right. No. <laughs> of course, that's not true. Or is it? Okay. Back to the scripture at hand. I listen to people sometimes. When, when people are honestly exchanging ideas and they want to discuss the Bible and they ask me questions and I don't mind Questions being asked, and if I don't know the answer, I'll say, I don't know. 
I am amazed, however, at when people ask certain questions, the presupposition that is the foundation of the question that they're asking is that God is somehow limited to time and space. And so they ask a question, but the question is baseless because it has nothing on which it is based. It's based on a false premise or, or something that really doesn't exist at all. So you have to go back from the question and say, well, why are you asking this question when you haven't even come up to the point where you understand the issue about which you're asking? And so, you know, I've been accused, somebody asks me what time it is and I tell them how to build a watch. So my, my job at that point is to fly way back before there and say, let's go back to the root of your ignorance. We got to start there. We can't start here. This is a fruit of a poison tree and we're going to have to unroot and tear down a poison tree and plant a good tree because you don't want to eat fruit from a tree of ignorance all the time. And that's what happens a lot of time because people put some kind of limitations on God. Well, here is a case in point. Somebody asks the question, how are the dead raised? How utterly foolish is that question? God, throughout the scripture, points us to his creation so that we can reflect on his power. Now here's the beauty of that. Mankind never stops studying and examining his world and his universe. The farther along we go, the more we learn. And for every door that is open to us in knowledge, we walk through that door and there are a thousand other doors that need to be entered. And it's that way for every door. It's an, it's an endless maze of wonderful study to study the marvel of the creation of God. Whether under a microscope or through a telescope. Whether you're in a submarine or in a space rocket. We are never surprised at the new and wonderful things that we learn about creation. The problem is most people today who study creation are unbelievers. And that causes them, you see, to start asking questions from a poison tree. You need to go back and address the root of your ignorance before you start asking questions. And you won't have so many questions at that point. So anyone who would question the resurrection, the Bible says, is a fool. Then he lays out in his treatise here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the way of the resurrection. Here it is. What you sow does not come to life if it doesn't die first. So 
If you plant something, you plant a seed which is dead but carries the power of life according to the will of God. That's what he says down here. If you're going to sow something, it has to be dead first, the seed. And what you sow will not be that body you sow, but a bare grain. It'll just be a seed. It may be a wheat, a grain of wheat, or it may be something else that you plant. But God gives it a body as he has willed according to his will and to each of the seeds its own body. We all understand that. Some of us maybe plant flowers or gardens. We're not, we're not going to take seeds of squash and take those seeds in and make a squash casserole. We're going to have to plant the seeds. And then according to the will of God, God gives them a body and we can harvest and with the pieces of squash, then we can make the casserole, right? This is according to the will of God. You put it away. But in the creative power of God, it becomes something else, something that it wasn't. It will bear forth and bring forth characteristics that are within it. But those characteristics cannot be seen or appreciated until the seed bursts forth with its life. And whatever the seed is brings forth its, its fruit, its body. This is like the resurrection. God gives it a body according to his will. There are countless kinds of plants on planet earth. Trees and shrubs and flowers, fruits and vegetables and weeds and thorns and thistles. God gives it a body. No, no two blades of grass are alike. No, no, no two pieces of fruit are alike. You go to the grocery store. I had to buy some lemons. I was under orders. Didn't say how many, how many, or I just get me some lemons. I need some lemons. Okay. Like, like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and so I'm in Publix and I'm going to this place where there's a bin well, the first place I went to was called a citron or something. It looked like a lemon, but it wasn't a lemon. So, I, I, oh, that doesn't say lemon. So, here's it says lemon. And they were all different. Some of them had noses and some of them had warts. Some were lean and tall and some were plump and short. And so, I examined them. That looks like a pretty good one. And I put it in the bag. I didn't know what I was looking for. It may be that the ones with noses that are long and slender, they may be the best. I don't know. 
But if it was kind of round and fat and plump, I always feel at home with anything that's round, fat, and plump. (laughs) Well, that's a good one. I got six. I looked up and there was 79 cents each. I thought, ooh, man, I thought it was by the pound or something. So I got six. I was very proud because I thought they were lovely lemons. Came home. Where's my lemons? There's the bag right there. Is that it? <laughs> what are you buying by the dozen? I don't know. I got six nice looking lemons. And that was it. But I can tell you from my experience at the grocery store that no two lemons are alike. That's the truth. You're like me. If you go to the grocery store, you're going to pick it up and look at it. Hmm, you'll say. If it's a head of lettuce, you're going to spin it around and look at it top and bottom, side to side. Who goes in there and just says, ah, they're all alike, you know, and just nobody does. That's because God has willed each one of those things a body. God did that. They came forth from a seed that was planted. That thing had to die, but it gave forth something beautiful and wonderful. When the seed was planted, it had within it the characteristics of what it would become, but it wasn't that when it was planted. So here is the illustration, the analogy of the resurrection that the Holy Spirit gives to us in seeds. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There is a flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of birds, and another of fish. Then there are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But one is truly of the heavenly glory And another, that of the earthly. One is the glory of the sun, and another the glory of the moon, and another the glory of the stars. For star from star differs in glory. It should read, I should have translated it. For star differs from star in glory. Each star has a different kind of glory. That becomes so clear when you're able to look through a big telescope or go to a planetarium, the difference in the heavenly bodies. So men, mankind has a kind of flesh. The animal kingdom has a kind of flesh. Birds and then fish, they have their kinds of flesh. This is by the will of God. Stars each now, how many, how many stars? We don't know how many stars there are. We don't know how many galaxies there are. We don't know how far the universe continues on and on and on. We don't know. We, we haven't learned that. We haven't seen the edge of it. We don't have the ability right now to see the edge of it. 
But we know that all of it is full of stars and galaxies and novas and vistas and they each differ in their glory. They are all different. Each one is unique. Because God willed it that way and created it that way. And then he says, there are those that have earthly glory. The beautiful array and colors of fish in an aquarium, animals in a jungle. No two tigers have stripes the same. No, no two zebras have stripes the same. The spots on spotted animals, they're all different. They're not the same. They each have their different glory in the earthly bodies. So God has willed glory in, in, in uniqueness for each heavenly body. As, how many are there? We don't know. But it, ever how many there are, God, by his will and purpose, gave to each of them its unique glory. So no two stars, no heavenly bodies are the same. And so it is with earthly bodies. None of them are the same. Flesh of man, flesh of beasts. If you read in a microbiology book about amino acids, an important thing with regard to life, you will read that to date, science has identified about 600 octodecillion amino acids. Now that's 600 with 57 zeros after it. I had to look that up. I didn't know. 600 octodecillion. Who in the world keeps up with that? <laughs> now, the beautiful thing is, God can take those amino acids and put them and combine them in any way that he wants to. It's incomprehensible. The varieties that God could put together and there may be more than 600 octodecillion amino acids. There are 26 letters in the English alphabet. Your Bible in its English translation gives wonderful stories and words and thoughts. But in the English translation, all of that is built just out of 26 letters. Now, what can God do with at least 600 octodecillion amino acids? He's God. Everything has its unique glory according to the will of God. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in decay. It is raised in immortality. 
It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. He specifically speaks of the resurrection of the dead. Every, every one of us has a human body designed by the will of God. He says in the 139th Psalm, I formed you in the womb. Then he goes on, he says, the, the book of who you are and the days that you live has already been written. So, I, each of you, are sown in decay. A process of decay is part of human life. Things happen, especially right down in here somewhere, where things decay. And so the human body carries with it some kind of decay and its own form of nastiness. We're sown that way. We start decaying the minute we're born by the will of God. I'll explain why in just a second. But that body is raised in immortality. That process of decay doesn't operate anymore in the resurrected body. It is sown in dishonor. The human body is a thing of dishonor. All of us were infants at one time. Our parents were so proud. My mother was so proud of me, she put me on a piano bench on top of a blanket, naked, and took my picture. <laughs> Sweet little old thing. Just makes you want to pinch him and, you know, you know how they are. Nobody wants to take a picture of me like that today, I guarantee you. <laughs> you know why? Dishonor. Things have kind of shifted around on me. And it's different. I went through infancy. I went through childhood. I was a teenager. I was a young adult. I was a middle-aged adult. I was a senior adult. I don't know what I am now. But whatever I am, it's, dis it's decaying and it is in dishonor. Dishonor. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Dishonor. 
I was a mean little kid. I, I'll tell you, I was. Mean. I told you about how I killed that cat one time. I confessed that sin. That little boy is still walking around, but he's a grown man. Now, God forgives us of our sin, and we won't have to pay for that sin after our death. But let me tell you something. This body carries around that decay. Everything I've ever done is still walking with me in the sense that this old body carries with it the stain of sin. Now, my name's in the book of life. Christ died for my sins. But as Paul says to the Romans, I'm still carrying around a body of death because I haven't been glorified yet. I haven't been resurrected. And I don't want to carry this around all my life. I haven't always obeyed my parents. I've broken that commandment. I'm quite sure I've coveted things that other people have. Born false witness every time I pass along an email or a text and I haven't checked it out. And if it's false, I've borne false witness. I mean, I'm guilty under the law. And some things I've have, have just been terrible. I can think of things in life. I was, <laughs> don't get any ideas. I was at a thing. They didn't call it D now when I was a kid. It was, I was 12 years old and this kid was in a bed next to me. He kept calling me fat. The lights were off. I said, you need to shut up. <laughs> he wouldn't stop and it got worse. I'm telling you, you need to shut up. I was a preacher's kid. He was a preacher's kid. The boy's name was Larry. I said, Larry, don't do that again. Yeah, yeah, he called me fat again. I jumped on him. Started beating on him. And he squealed like a girl. <laughs> My daddy was the first one through that door, and then his daddy was right behind him. The only excuse I had was, and he's laying there all snotty and bleeding. I said, He called me fat. I told him to stop. <laughs> that was wrong. It felt good, but it was wrong. <laughs> and I'm still carrying around. Here I am walking around. Larry, honestly, Larry passed away of, of cancer about 15 or 20 years ago. But if he saw me somewhere today, he would still hold that against me, I'm sure. And he would be right, too, because I did it. Now, those are mild. I'm not going to go get any deeper, okay? <laughs> but I'm still that same, and I'm carrying it around, and it's dishonor. There's no honor. It doesn't matter how, how intelligent you are, how beautiful you are, how, how smart, how much influence you have. It doesn't matter. All of those things are going to fade. Even your mind will fade. I know people very close to me who for much of the day don't even know where she is because 
time brings more dishonor. It is so dishonorable and so filled with decay that finally at the end of it, it has to be put away. You cannot let it just lay there. You have to put it away. You have to plant it. So many wrong things. It is sown in dishonor because all of the stuff that hangs on me, the regrets that I have, the dreads that I have, just walking through life as a human being with all of the flaws and all of the decays, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, many times I officiate a, a funeral and I'm always the last one in the parlor with the two undertakers. Now, I have claustrophobia just terribly bad. And I'm, I'm looking at the deceased and I keep thinking, they're going to snap that lid down on him. And they do. They straighten out the cover stuff and then they seal, they snap it and then they seal it with a crank so that it's airtight. And I have running through my mind, man, I'm going to dread that, you know. What am I going to do? I hope I'm good and dead when they do, well, you know, they drain the blood and put some kind of fluid in you, so I'm pretty sure you're dead by then. That's a flaw. Let me tell you something. Claustrophobia is a flaw. Fears, regrets, you leave them in the ground. That old nasty seed sown in dishonor is raised in glory. All of that old stuff is behind. Never to be seen again. It went away. And God won't allow it because by his will, he gives me a new body. A unique body raised in glory. An exuding identity that is uniquely mine that God alone gives to me and to every saint in the first resurrection. Raised in glory, sown in weakness. There is nothing weaker than a dead body. And I'll tell you this, you get weaker as you go through life. I can't do things now that I could do 30 years ago. Wish I could. That's a big problem with most old men. If you ever try it, you'll either have a heart attack or you'll break a leg or something. Weakness. Until ultimate weakness where you just fall and do nothing. But here's what God says. God's word says it has to be that way if you're going to be raised in power. You're going to have to plant that old dead thing that has within it the characteristics of who you are and God will raise you up. You'll still be you. You'll still have the characteristics of who you are. But you'll be different. And finally he talks about that here. It is sown a natural body. Sukikon. We get a, a root from that is the soul. It's a soulish Emotional, natural body. 
emotions, your emotions can sin. Anger, jealousy, lust. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. I'm currently outfitted for the sphere in which God has placed me, namely in the present life, the natural life. But all that is wrong because of Christ, my Lord, who was raised from the dead and has shown us the power of resurrection. Because of him and the will of God in my life, the natural will drop. It will be sown and raised a spiritual body. So then I will be outfitted for spiritual life to live in the realm of Christ. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So also it has been written, the first Adam became a living soul, the last Adam into a life-giving spirit. That I am of Adam is proven in my death. That's Adam. That's all he can do for me is die and give death to me. But then there's the last Adam. What he does for me is gets up from the grave, rises again with great power. There are other places in the Bible you saw in our account a while ago, he vanished. What a neat thing to be able to do. Play hide and seek with Pat all over the universe. <laughs> Poof. Find me if you can. Later on, he walks through walls. He just walked through a wall. And then he'll go up in power and glory. The seed is planted. But then on that day, I will be raised with no more dishonor and with no more decay. But I will be raised in power and in glory in a unique body designed by the will of God. That's what he teaches us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. If you'll admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus and call on him to save you. God will save you. Maybe you've already been saved and you need to come forward. And by coming forward, professing your faith in Christ and then follow him in baptism. Maybe you need to do that. If you had come to Christ or you would come in obedience to Christ today, you come during the invitation when we stand up. Maybe you're here and you're already a Christian and God leads you to come and be a part of this congregation. You come today. Father God in heaven, bless us in this invitation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.